This podcast is brought to you by Conquer Cancer, the ASCO Foundation. Our mission is to accelerate breakthroughs in life-saving cancer research and empower people everywhere to conquer cancer. You can make a gift at conquer.org forward slash podcast. Welcome to Your Stories, a podcast where we hear candid stories from people conquering cancer. I am your host, Don Dizon. When it comes to colorectal cancer, misconceptions and stigmas abound. Some still believe that it's largely a disease affecting older populations or that it only happens to people with a family history of it, neither of which is true. Others assume that colorectal cancer mostly just affects older white men, also untrue. Meanwhile, some avoid the subject entirely, too embarrassed to discuss a disease involving anatomy they consider private. This lack of awareness often has a detrimental impact, not only for patients, but also the researchers and physicians committed to conquering this disease. Lacking the same open and transparent discussion that comes to surround better known cancers like breast or lung, colorectal cancer typically generates less funding and consequently, fewer treatment and educational resources. Today, we're joined by NBC journalist, Craig Melvin, along with two-time Conquer Cancer grant recipient and colorectal cancer oncologist, Dr. Kimmy Ng, also a friend of mine. Craig has made a mission of increasing public awareness and action around colorectal cancer following the death of his 43-year-old brother, Lawrence Meadows, in 2020. He and Dr. Ng will speak with us today about the critical role donors play in funding colorectal cancer breakthroughs, along with the sharp increase of diagnoses in Black patients and young adults, and the need for increased awareness including how colorectal cancer can be prevented. As a side note, we have decided to use our first names. So let's meet Craig and Kimmy. Before we get started, though, let's hear where each of you are tuning in from today. Craig? I am in Connecticut, where I live. Well, Craig, just so you know, Kimmy and I go way back. We actually met before she started her fellowship. But Kimmy, where are you calling in from? I am in my office at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, Massachusetts. Wonderful. Okay, let's get on with our conversation. Craig, why don't you tell us about your brother, Lawrence, and what your family experienced when they learned of his diagnosis? Don, thank you again for the invitation, by the way. I always appreciate opportunities to get the word out. My younger brother was uh, very much unlike me. He was a Baptist minister. He was an entrepreneur. He owned a, a funeral home in Spartanburg, South Carolina. My family's from Palmetto State and have been for generations. And uh, we went to the same college, went to Wofford College, which is a small liberal arts college there in Spartanburg. And he had been experiencing some stomach pains for, gosh, you know, it's funny now. I just saw my sister-in-law, his widow, two days ago, and we were just talking about it. I thought it had been for just a few months. Apparently, he had been experiencing stomach pains for probably more than a year and sort of dismissed it as a number of different things. And then when he finally did go to the doctor, the first time he went, the doctor told him because of his age, it was probably just dietary and maybe just add some more fiber. And then when that didn't seem to help, he went back to the same doctor. The doctor said, well, you know, it's, yeah, you've got young children, a high stress job. If you're not in church, then you're dealing with, with people who are grieving or experiencing loss that weighs on you. So maybe it's a stomach ulcer. Let's treat it as such. Finally, after he started to lose weight, he went back 
And the doctor decided, you know, just to rule out anything terrible, let's just do a CT scan to see what we see. And that was when it was revealed he'd had a, a tumor, but roughly the size of a small tangerine there in his abdomen. By the time he was diagnosed, it had already metastasized a bit and uh, stage four. And, you know, we got a second opinion, we got a third opinion, and it was inoperable. They treated it aggressively. And uh, he also participated in some, some trials, but uh, ultimately he ended up succumbing to the disease at the age of 43. At the time, we did not know we'd had a family history of colorectal cancer. Only after he was diagnosed and his doctor asked him to ask family members about history in the family, only then did we learn, oh, you know, as my dad said, said to him, you know, I think your grandma, I think she may have had colon cancer at some point, but, you know, she didn't die from it. She just had it. And then it was, oh, you know, I think you're aunt blah, blah, blah. If I remember back in the 80s. So we discovered we had a family history after his diagnosis. Can I just ask, because he was so young, I can only imagine how shocking it is just to hear that someone you love so much is cancer. But what was that experience like for your family and, and for him to hear that at a comparatively young age, that a black healthy man has colon cancer. Not just healthy. I mean, you know, he played college football, but he didn't drink. He didn't smoke. We were pretty gobsmacked. We thought initially there was a misdiagnosis. You know, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it just presented. So we were in denial for a few weeks, if not a couple of months. And so was he. So was his wife. It was very hard. It's because I just saw his uh, his two kids over the weekend. I have a a nine and a six-year-old, and both of his kids are two years older than my kids. It's hard. To your earlier point, I mean, for a long time, even when I grew up, I was growing up, colon cancer was one of those diseases that you associated most often with with elderly people. You don't think of somebody in their, their late 30s being diagnosed with colorectal cancer, much less late-stage colorectal cancer. It was hard. I will say that my late brother's profession, I think, probably helped. He'd made peace with all of it long before we did. And even when it became obvious that he was not going to be able to beat this thing, and we would go and visit him, and he was homebound, and he would get out of the bed sometimes just to use the bathroom or or maybe go sit on the porch. He would comfort us and and try to make sure that, that we knew that he was okay with it. But, you know, it was also in those late weeks and months where, where we resolved to make it our life's work, to spread the word. And we have, and we've done it for the last few years, and, and we're going to continue to do it. You know, I just want to touch on that just really quickly, Craig, because some of my own work in, and within my own families, you know, there are certain cultures where cancer is not discussed. We just don't talk about it. It's almost embarrassing, and certainly some cancers are more embarrassing than others, like, like I spoke about earlier. How is that stigma in your family dealt with? How do you perceive of that within Black families? And, you know, I just wonder about how this impacts awareness and screening. Those are great questions. I mean, listen, my family's probably like a lot of other families. Not only do we not like to talk about cancer, we don't really like to talk about anything that's uh, that's awkward. You know, we don't like to uh, have any difficult conversations. But 
You know, Don, no one likes to talk about their colons or their rectums or blood in their stool or changes in their stool or, and certainly not young strapping black men who grew up in rural South Carolina. No, we didn't talk about it. I mean, we do now. Perhaps now I probably talk about it a little too much for some folk. I ask strangers occasionally, if how old are you? I'm 46. Have you gotten your colonoscopy? Are you checking your stool? Have you talked about family history? I've become that guy. But no, we didn't talk about it. Not only did we not talk about it, someone would die in our family, and it was like, oh, that was cancer. We didn't ask what kind of cancer. It was just cancer. But now you start to, over the last few years, it's like, oh, you know, our great uncle, Jasper, or and these are actual names of my, my great uncles, or Norwood, or Nelson. Like, what did they die of? It's, you know, I think he may have, if I remember, and it's half the time, we don't even know because no one talked about it. It was, oh, we had cancer. Oh, we had a heart attack. Oh, we had a stroke. Like, it's just, so part of our mission has been to not just destigmatize colorectal cancer, but to encourage uncomfortable conversations, to be able to say, you know, when you're home for Thanksgiving or you're back visiting family for whatever holiday, you know, they've changed the guidelines to 45. Have you had that colonoscopy yet? Or you check in your stool periodically. I got to be honest with you, I think it's working to a certain extent because my younger brother, because of our family history, you know, he's got his colonoscopy. There's not anyone in our family right now who should have had a colonoscopy who hasn't had one to the point where people have asked me politely to come up with other topics of conversation, which is a good sign. Yeah. I mean, there was a time not too recent, not too long ago, I should say, where colonoscopy was not meant to be talked about. In proper conversation. No. And the reality is, we did a story on the Today Show last year where my younger brother went in for his. We do a number of stories every year highlighting different parts of the disease, whether it's research or treatment or screening. We've really tried to use the platform to do more of that. The reality is with the colonoscopy, and by the way, while the colonoscopy is the gold standard, I encourage folks to, I mean, whether it's, it's one of those at-home kits or take a test. You know, if you're uncomfortable with the colonoscopy, take a test. The colonoscopy, and I've, I've joked about this with a number of people. I've had two now. And the first time I had one, you know, I've worked myself up into, into some concern as well about, about the prep and, and the procedure itself. And I woke up from that thing and I said to the doctor, you know, you guys are really selling this thing wrong. You should sort of rebrand the colonoscopy experience, the propofol. It's almost worth going in just for that. Then you're counting down from 10. Next thing you know, you wake up. Fortunately for me, both times, I didn't find anything, but you wake up. I felt more refreshed than, than when I went down. And then you come out and you've got peace of mind for a few years. It really is, as you, as you both know, it's one of the few cancers where if it's detected early enough, there's no issue. That's why we really have worked on getting the word out more and more about screening, especially in communities where there are so many folks who look like me. And the reality is, and Kimmy can speak more to this, the higher incidence of colorectal cancer presenting, especially late stage colorectal cancer presenting in young people and the inexplicable nature of the root causes of it, that's something that I continue to find disturbing and confusing in equal parts. Yeah, I agree with you. So, Kimmy, let's turn the spotlight on you, as they say. One of the biggest challenges around colorectal cancer is funding for research. And while 
there are certainly efforts to raise awareness and Craig's work is instrumental in that. It still remains far outpaced in fundraising when you compare it to other more, quote, well-known, unquote, cancers. How do you think that affects your ability to conduct research? Well, it certainly makes it much, much more challenging, right? So colorectal cancer is currently the third most common cancer diagnosed in men and women in the United States. And when you combine men and women, it is the second leading cause of cancer death. Not only that, it is predicted to become the leading cause of cancer death in young people under the age of 50 by the year 2030. For such a prevalent problem and one that is so deadly, the number of dollars dedicated to funding research into this area and discovering new treatments and new prevention strategies is really dismal. And that really limits us from being able to conduct the groundbreaking research and the innovative ideas that we want to pursue if there isn't a stable source of significant funding for us to be able to do that work. And I think what also contributes to the lack of funding is this stigma that we have been talking about and the fact that people don't talk about it and it's something that isn't out there in the media as much as it should be has definitely contributed to why there isn't as much funding going towards this disease. You know, Don, I don't like to compare cancers because all cancers are horrible and equally detestable. But I, I do think that maybe, you know, 25 years ago or so, the breast cancer folks, they figured it out from a marketing standpoint, from a branding standpoint. I lost an aunt to cancer, breast cancer specifically back in the 90s, early to mid 90s. And, and a lot of folks weren't talking about breast cancer the way they do now. But the breast cancer folks, they changed the narrative. It wasn't breast cancer. It was, oh, your wife could die from this or your, your daughter could die from this. We've got to raise money for our daughters and our mothers and our sisters and our wives. And now, I mean, you watch an NFL game on a Sunday and you, you see grown men from all over the league wearing pink cleats and coaches wearing pink hats and pink shirts. And there is no cancer that has raised more money for research over the last 10 or 15 years than breast cancer. And it's from a marketing and branding standpoint, what they were able to do and have been able to do is genius. It's genius. And as a result, you have seen tremendous strides made in breast cancer research and treatment. Hopefully, the same thing starts to happen with colorectal cancer. But to do that, we've got to demystify it. We've got to destigmatize it. I think we're on our way. We talk about it now. And just five years ago, you didn't talk about it. Now there are podcasts devoted to it. And there are, you know, ad campaigns and billboard campaigns and celebrities are talking about colonoscopies. So we're getting there. We're not getting there fast enough. Yeah, I agree. Craig, actually, I'm going to point out something you said, because I think it's always important. You know, Kimmy and I both do different research in the cancer world, and all of that research is important. I like what you said, that all cancers are bad and all of them are worthy of having attention to it. I think what Kimmy and I will say, right, and you will say, is that the same attention is required across the board. It cannot be imbalanced. And I think if there's anything, Kimmy, your research in particular with colorectal cancer, you have shown what's possible when you're able to fund the innovations that you discussed. And I'm just going to point this back towards you, Kimmy, in terms of, you know, when we think about how the public may have 
thought about colorectal cancer as as a cancer of the older generation, as a cancer of a white generation, maybe even as as a cancer of men. We are not seeing that today. And there certainly has been high profile, unfortunate death related to cancer in people in the public eye. And it does, and we know that that uptake is happening among people with those diverse backgrounds. Do you think that shifting awareness has woken the public up to colorectal cancer? And certainly, how has this shifting demographic influenced your own research? Yeah, so young onset colorectal cancer is colorectal cancer diagnosed in somebody under the age of 50. And over the past few years, I just kept seeing young person after young person coming into my clinic diagnosed with metastatic stage four cancer with no family history, no genetic condition, no obvious risk factors for why they were diagnosed or had this disease. And I just saw the devastation that it caused in a young person's life, the career disruptions, the family disruptions. Over 80% have children under the age of 18 when they're diagnosed with this terminal illness. And it really motivated us to put together a dedicated center to better take care of these young people and then also to really delve into the research to figure out why this is happening. Because probably the scariest thing of all is that we actually don't know what is causing this rise in young people getting this disease. And I do think that because of Craig's efforts to raise awareness in the media and also the unfortunate death of Chadwick Boseman, people are now aware that colorectal cancer can happen in young people. It can happen in Black communities and actually happens more often and at younger ages in Black communities and also about the importance of screening. It is so important to get screened because screening can prevent colorectal cancer as well as catch it earlier when it's more curable. You know, Kimmy, I do wanna just point out to our listeners that your efforts in caring for, understanding better, treating that younger population with colorectal cancer has really set a national standard. And congratulations for really highlighting that issue and bringing a focus to it. I think it's so important to know that while it's difficult to be diagnosed with cancer, no matter what age you are, a young person faces very, very unique challenges. There are fertility concerns. There are sexual health concerns, relationship concerns. And a lot of that wasn't being routinely addressed or taken care of when a young person came in for their care. And so I really do hope that more dedicated centers and more attention to this starts to percolate around the world, actually, so that these young people can get better comprehensive care. I think that's wonderful. This question is to you both. There's probably a very large and very diverse audience listening to this podcast, and it's an opportunity for you both to answer, what is something you wish more people knew about colorectal cancer research? Let's start with Craig. I would go back to my earlier point in terms of what I wish more people knew about colorectal cancer research. I wish people knew how underfunded it is, especially when you compare it to other cancers and research dollars that are, are made available for other kinds of cancer. I wish more people knew about the strides that have been made, that are being made every day in labs at Dana-Farber, at MD Anderson, at MSK. I mean, we're making progress. But the reality is, and this is a, a separate podcast, but the reality is the federal government is not going to ever allocate the public dollars that would be required 
to really make some headway in this space. So consequently, it's left to private individuals. There are doctors who are really making great strides. You know, I would encourage folks, if they're so inclined, to Google a story that we did on the Today Show, I think two weeks ago, with Dr. Kopetz out of, out of MD Anderson about this uh, blood test that's marketed and manufactured by Natera. That really, and Kimmy's, I'm sure, certainly aware of, of the blood test, that, you know, folks who have been given a clean bill of health, reducing the recurrence after that diagnosis and treatment. There's progress being made. And even in the testing space, there are some who have suggested that there may be a pretty doggone reliable blood test available here in the not so distant future. But unfortunately, money moves the needle, as is the case with everything. Money moves the needle. And there is a tremendous need in this particular space for research dollars. Kimmy, what do you think people should know about colorectal cancer research? So I agree with everything that Craig said. For example, the center we were able to start at Dana-Farber and all of the research that we have been able to start started with philanthropy. I mean, we were not able to get that support any other way. And so philanthropy and donations and funding from the private sector are so important here in moving this cancer forward and driving advances. I want people to know that, yes, there have been incredible advances over the past decade over which I've been practicing and caring for patients with this disease, but there is still so much more we have to do. Colorectal cancer is one of the cancers that doesn't respond to immunotherapy. You know, these blockbuster drugs for other cancers do not work in this disease. And that is a huge problem that we are trying to overcome. And then finally, this increase in young people getting this disease, much more funding and research needs to go towards understanding why. Because even though the screening age was lower to age 45, that wouldn't have helped Craig's brother and it wouldn't have helped Chadwick Bozeman. So we really need to better understand the causes of this rise so that we know who is at high risk and can target them for earlier screening. Kimmy, I know there's been some preliminary research looking at the root causes as they relate to the rise in early onset. How close do you think we are to figuring out what may be behind that? Well, I do think we're getting closer every day, but it still is a very, very challenging question to answer. There had been research into lifestyle factors and things like obesity and, you know, sedentary behavior and sugar sweetened beverages have been pointed out as culprits and risk factors. But we all know that the majority of our patients do not have any of those risk factors. And so we are trying to do research into the microbiome because all of those diet and lifestyle things probably shape our microbiome. And that might be contributing to why this is happening at younger and younger ages. And they also all shape our immune systems, which also play a huge role in preventing cancer. But these questions are hard to study. It's hard to get people to contribute stool samples for us to look at the microbiome. And so we're slowly getting together with other scientists, other groups, it really does take a team and a village to try to get patients to partner with us to do this research. Craig, I will say this on, on this podcast about colorectal cancer. I actually lost my cousin to the disease who presented very, very similarly to your brother. So it is something that I certainly have been impacted and I am certain I'm not alone in having an experience of someone dying of this disease at far younger than they should have. I certainly became more aware of Kimmy's research, even though we're friends. 
I became more aware of Kimmy's research after my cousin Joe was diagnosed. Craig, when you look back, how aware were you of not only colorectal cancer research, but how important and how almost, I'll use the term alarming, the funding was going towards colorectal cancer research? And how has it changed now that you've experienced what you have? To say I was completely unaware would probably be an understatement. We didn't know that we had a family history of it, so we didn't talk about it. We would occasionally talk about breast cancer because of, of my aunt and diabetes, especially because of my, my grandmother who, who died from that and was a double amputee. So and we talked about those diseases, but we, didn't, we just didn't talk about colorectal cancer. I was completely unaware of the research space, the funding. I, I didn't know anything about it. I've been involved in various charities as a result of the work that I do. I've never been to a fundraiser. I'd never been a part of a panel. I, I didn't even know anyone who had died from colorectal cancer until my brother died from it. And then all of a sudden, you know, now that I'm, I'm a part of, of this uh, community, you start to hear from folks who are losing people every day. Or, you know, I've done so many stories now over the years. There's a young lady down in, in D.C. She lived in the Adams Morgan area. And we did a story on her a few years ago. She wasn't even 30 yet. And she was a newlywed. And she had just been diagnosed with late stage colon cancer. And you get close to some of these people. And then they're gone. They lose their battle. And then you're seeing their mother and their father show up at all these events on the same mission that I'm on. And so you become acutely aware of the need, which is a good thing. I mean, I, I, I've never believed in accidents. And I, I think that when terrible things happen to you, you should try and, and, and use those things to, to do some good. That's all we've, we've been trying to do. But Don, no one's ever asked me that question because not to sound whatever, but I am aware of so many other things. And as a journalist, that's kind of, that's kind of the job. But colorectal cancer wasn't on the radar at all. But then you, it, over the last few years, you start talking to people and you realize how much of a plague this has really become over the last few years. And I think what's most troubling, at least for me, and a lot of the folks as well, we don't know why or how. I mean, we know with other cancers that, you know, it's hereditary, which there's genetic, well, there's all this other stuff. But with this one, it's just diet, maybe it's exercise, maybe it's environment. Maybe it's your gut, you know, as, as Kimmy just alluded to, but we don't have the hard research just yet. And I think that's why the conversation about screening is just so, so paramount. Just getting people, not just to get screened, but to listen to their bodies. My younger brother, he and I joke now that we've become not hypochondriacs, but I get my money's worth out of my insurance. If I ever coughed at last couple of days, I'm right there. I'm at the doctor. It's funny, I went in last week, completely un unrelated to this. I was in for my annual checkup and my doctor in, in New York, he was talking about these scans now, these CT scans that you do above the waist, this calcium scoring. I don't have a history of, of heart issues, but I was like, you know what? Sign me up. He's like, you know, insurance doesn't cover it. I don't care. I want the scan. Give me the scan. And so that's been the one plus that I do listen to my body probably a bit more than, than most. I hope that's what a lot of folks take from this conversation as well. Like if something seems off, you should talk to your doctor. Well, I always say that everyone in our communities who have experienced cancer, 
each of them have an important story to tell. So Craig, thank you so much for telling some of those stories. I believe you shouldn't have to care about cancer only when someone you love or you are diagnosed with it. So thank you for your efforts. I think that's important. And speaking of the importance of research and funding, Kimmy is the recipient of Conquer Cancer Foundation funds for her own research. And Kimmy, maybe you can take a moment to tell us about that research that was funded by Conquer Cancer and how it's informed your work and your practice. Yes, I was lucky enough to receive both a Young Investigator Award back in the day and a Career Development Award. And a lot of that was about understanding the biological mechanisms of diet and lifestyle factors in colorectal cancer, with the main focus on vitamin D, actually, which is inexpensive, easily accessible, and may have anti-cancer properties, but was not something that I was easily able to get funding for initially. And that's where Conquer Cancer Foundation was so important in being able to start me off on that line of research that is now so relevant to this young onset colorectal cancer epidemic and colorectal cancer overall to understand how do diet and lifestyle play in this and can patients take on some of these dietary and lifestyle behaviors and help to improve their outcome. So I am grateful for getting my start with Conquer Cancer Foundation. I mean, it's those innovative questions that even they start with something so inexpensive that can make such a difference. And again, hindsight being 2020, I'm sure our bigger funders would have jumped on that bandwagon, but so many good ideas are not pursued for the lack of funding. All right. So we're almost done. Craig, Kimmy, ask you the same question. What does cancer research save lives. What does that mean to you, Craig? Oh, gosh. You know, I think when we talk about research, cancer research, sometimes we talk about it in the abstract. And the reality is it's not abstract. I mean, we're talking about young mothers, young fathers, husbands and wives, and lives forever altered because they're stricken with this this dreadful disease. I've got a, a niece now, Addie, who is 13, and her father will never be able to walk her down the aisle. He won't be at her high school graduation or college graduation. He won't be able to hold his grandchild. I've got a nephew who now, thanks to some pretty good therapy, is in a much better place. But after his father died, he was very angry, very confused. I think when we talk about cancer and research, those are the stories that we should keep in mind. It's not abstract to people who have lost someone or are losing someone or who have been diagnosed with a disease. And the reality is, is both of you know all too well, when you hear that you've got the, the big C, it changes you. You're anxious sometimes for the rest of your days. You can't work. You're worried about providing for your family. You're worried about what you're going to leave behind. You're, you're worried about all of it. And we don't talk about that enough. The human toll that this disease has on folks. That would be my answer to that question, Don. That's great and really heartfelt. Kimmy? Cancer research saves lives. I think there's no truer statement than that. Cancer research underlies every single advance and cure that we've been able to make to date, and it will be behind every cure we have in the future. But I think even beyond just cures, Research to better understand how to improve quality of life for survivors and patients currently living with cancer and going through treatment 
will also be life-saving. Well, I totally agree with that. Final question for you both. And we'll start with Kimmy this time. How are you conquering cancer? I am trying to be the best oncologist I can for all of my patients who I see in clinic and at the same time, trying to do the important research that will hopefully improve their lives and the lives of future cancer patients coming to me. And you are an inspiration for that reason, Kimmy. Craig? Kimmy, she's conquering cancer on the front lines every day. I am simply trying to use my platform and my megaphone to raise awareness and to raise money and to increase the number of people getting screened. So I guess we're conquering cancer in different ways, but we're all on the same team. And so are you with this podcast. We just need to recruit a few more allies. Well, I don't think I could have ended a podcast in a better way. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast brought to you by Conquer Cancer, the ASCO Foundation. For doctor-approved patient information, please visit cancer.net, which is supported in part by Conquer Cancer donors. Conquer Cancer is creating a world where cancer is prevented or cured, and every survivor is healthy. You can make a gift at conquer.org forward slash podcast. The participants of this podcast report no conflicts of interest relevant to this podcast. Full disclosure can be found on the episode page on conquer.org. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. This is not a substitute for professional medical care and is not intended for use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Guest statements on the podcast do not express the opinions of ASCO. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy should not be construed as an ASCO endorsement.